0: Thank you so much for that, Dick, and good morning. I'm so glad that you're joining us here today. Uh, You know, maybe Mick Jagger said it best, that you just can't always get what you want. And I'm kind of feeling that way. I kind of wish I could get what I wanted, and what I would want right now, frankly, is for all of you to be sitting right out here. And this past week, I keep asking, well, when is this going to be over? It just seems like it just keeps going on and on, and now it's, I think, even a little bit harder because you start to hear these little smatterings and rumors of some things getting started back up, some essential businesses and things. But I keep wondering, well, when are the churches going to open? As Dick just prayed, when are we going to get back to some sense of normalcy? I want to know, well, what are the smart people saying about this? When can I have some guarantee that things will be back exactly the way they used to be? And i got to say, so far, I just haven't found it. I came across a book this past week called The Waiting Place, and the author describes what it's like for her. She's a journalist. She lives in Michigan, and she's in a slump. Uh, the idea that she needs for her next article just isn't coming to her, and she's having to wait and she, she describes this place in which she's stuck. She describes it this way, she writes, I'm stuck in a most useless place, the waiting place. It's March, I live in mid-Michigan, where I'm surrounded by thousands of disillusioned auto workers, many of whom have lost their jobs in recent years. The weather is a horrible mixture of ice, rain, and snow. Although I'm a runner who runs mostly in her mind, I haven't run in several months. My diet consists mostly of cookies. My pants are tight, go figure. I haven't run in a long time. She said, My gluteus maximus is maximizing itself. It has an obvious agenda to take over the entire backside of my body. After it accomplishes that, there's no doubt in my mind, it's going for world domination. If someone asked me, if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you be? I would answer, in bed. The fact that I would choose flannel sheets over, say, Italy is more than a little concerning to this energetic woman. So maybe you can relate to at least part of this. You're in this waiting place. And it can be very frustrating, and it can make us very anxious As we start to think about well is that job still going to be there is that business still going to be there are those relationships going to be there that i really haven't tended to the way i would normally is that boy or girl that seemed to like me so much at the beginning of the school year still going to like me when we all get back together you see right now we are in god's waiting room and the fact of the matter is whether we like it or not it's where we are. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is how do I live in God's waiting room? How do I live in God's waiting room? This this place where I find myself right now that, frankly, I can't do a whole lot about. And the passage we're going to look at this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 20. And I'm going to stand as I read these. If you're in a place in your home Uh, if you haven't got your breakfast just sitting in your lap and you can't sit it to the side i'd love for you to stand with me there in your homes while we read this together hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 through 20 and there we read for when god made a promise to abraham since he had no one greater by whom to swear he swore by himself saying surely i will bless you and multiply you and thus abraham having patiently waited obtained the promise For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge We're going back to the book of Hebrews, and in this book of Hebrews, there's a strong theme of keeping the faith. Don't stop believing. This is a group of people who are under some kind of persecution of which they are going to need endurance. So there have been a lot of themes that we've seen as we've gone through the book of Hebrews. And quickly, just looking back at where we've been, we started out talking about the superiority of Christ the superiority of Christ to angels, to the forefathers of Israel. But then things shift around chapter 5. And then the author of Hebrews begins to focus more on the audience. And he gave them a really harsh rebuke. Last time we were together, you may remember a strong warning against their inability, it seems, or their lack of will to go to maturity. He said, look, you're a bunch of milk drinkers when you should be meat eaters. So I've got to go back and teach you a lot of things. Well, fortunately this morning, he's going to be reverting back into an, an encouraging state of mind. So we're going to see him encouraging these Hebrews, these scattered Israelites. And he's going to do it like this. First of all, he's going to use Abraham as an example of patience. And then after that, if he shows the patience of Abraham through a very difficult trial, probably one of the worst anyone in the Bible face God promises an offer of stable hope and then we'll talk about how do I live in God's waiting room where we find ourselves we'll talk about the three ingredients that we need to live in God's waiting room so let's go back to the text that we just read and let's look at verses 13 and 14 for a moment so God made this promise to Abraham and he swore by himself it says Well, now what does that mean? So he's talking about Abraham. Abraham, the father of the Jewish race. He was highly esteemed by most all Jews, and God swore to him that he would multiply his offspring. He makes that promise in Genesis chapter 17. But just five chapters later, God calls him to do an extremely difficult thing. He calls him to sacrifice his one and only son, a son that he and his wife Sarah had waited their entire lives, they're they're very old at this time, God calls it to sacrifice that one son that he has. Abraham didn't even hesitate when God told him to do this. He gathers up his son, he takes him up on a mountain, he takes a knife, He gathers wood that after he would sacrifice his son, he would offer him up as a burnt offering. Now just try your best to just be there with Abraham on that mountain for a moment. Taking your only child, your only son, up on that mountain. Natural questions or comments would be, God, how could you do such a wretched thing to me? You promised me offspring, and you're going to have me kill my only son. But yet you hear none of that in Abraham when he goes up to do this. But he obeys God without hesitation. Then with knife in hand, just about to bring it down, God stops him. God stops him. And he calls down from heaven and says, because you have done this, Abraham. And we see the actual verse in Genesis 22:17. Because you have done this, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Now look, uh, look at how hopeful this verse is. And then we get back to to, uh, Hebrews and we look at verse 15. It says that Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. Now think about that for a moment, because it doesn't say that he obtained the fulfillment of the promise. He actually didn't see his offspring being as numerous as the sand on the seashore. He obtained the promise. For him, that was going to be enough just to have that promise. But it says that he waited patiently just to receive that promise through that trial that we just just heard about. Now this word patience is an interesting one. You could define it this way. It's the ability to hold one's feelings in restraint without retaliation against others. Now, just think about that for a moment. Patience is what keeps you uh, from murdering your spouse at times. Patience is what keeps you from mishandling your kids or lashing out at them or screaming at them when you really would like to, but you, you don't. This is an exercise of patience. And the Bible depicts Abraham as a never lashing out at God for commanding him to make this sacrifice. Never. He patiently goes through it. Now think about the audience. Uh, think about the Hebrews that are receiving this message because they were a community that was struggling under a trial. There were difficult times coming and the author of Hebrews had real concern about their sluggishness. They were slow to learn things. They were slow to maturity. Again, he called them a bunch of milk drinkers when they should have been meat eaters, as he describes them. Now, God has promised them he's never going to leave them, that he's never going to forsake them, but he never promised them, nor does he promise us, that we are not going to go through difficult times and trials. Abraham had to, again, be content with just the promise Not the fulfillment. He had to impatiently endure that trial. You know, you and I are going to have to patiently endure the trials that we go through. We're going through one right now, aren't we? For many, this is a very challenging time. And you know, we just celebrated Easter. We just got through a couple of weeks ago celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But think about those disciples for just a moment. So we have Good Friday. Good Friday right? Friday happened, Jesus died. Try to think about what it was like on Saturday for those disciples, wondering what's going to happen. See, you and I are in this perpetual Saturday. We're living between the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the time when he's going to come down and he's going to resurrect us. And I love the way Philip Yancey puts this in the book, The The Jesus I Never Knew. He says this, What the disciples experienced in small scale, three days in grief over one man who had died on a cross, we now live through on cosmic scale. Human history grinds on between the time of promise and fulfillment. Can we trust that God can make something holy and beautiful and good out of a world that includes Bosnia and Rwanda and inner-city ghettos and jammed prisons in the richest nation on Earth. You can include coronavirus in that. It's Saturday on planet Earth. Will Sunday ever come? In that same book, by the way, it talks about a woman uh, who, who died and she was uh, buried in a rural part of Louisiana. Louisiana. And under the instructions that she had given them her family uh, put a tombstone down there in southern louisiana with only one word on the tombstone it says waiting that's all that's written there so abraham provided us this example of patience through one of the worst trials we can imagine uh, sacrificing our own child and we're also waiting We're waiting in this time this time between times we're being made perfect although we're not perfect yet so i want to move on to this next set of verses um what does god offer us in this time of waiting well according to the text god's promises offer us a stable hope they offer us this stable hope and look at this next set of verses starting at verse 16. it says for people swear by something greater than themselves And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So we do this thing uh, called swearing. Uh, People are sworn in when they come into a trial so that they will uh, be truthful. At least that's the, the goal, and the purpose. And from time to time, you and I may say something like, perhaps our wives have said, are you ever going to pick up your socks? And you make a promise to her, I will pick up my socks, so help me God. So there we have the example of a promise, I'll pick up my socks, followed by the oath of someone higher than ourselves, so help me God. So we do this from time to time, and we, we see this playing out in this passage. And we get to verse 17, God swore by himself because there was no one greater to swear by. It says there in verses 17 and 18, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it was an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, it says we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So there in this couple of verses, God, they're telling us that God made an oath. And it's based on his own unchangeable character. It says there were two things. The two things are the promise and the oath. Again, the promise, Abraham, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it swearing on my own character, on who I am. Abraham, I will do this. Then he goes further, and um, Abraham then would receive this. So God says, I will do this. I am God. So this would be doubly encouraging for Abraham. It would be a very strong confirmation that what God says is going to happen is going to happen. And you know what? This is a doubly strong encouragement for us as well. Look at verse 18. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So, what does this mean? So, for the Israelites, from time to time, if you look in the Old Testament, God would provide them with a refuge city, a place to go uh, when the attackers were on them. They could go there and they wouldn't be bothered. It was a place of refuge. And we are to be strongly encouraged by the hope that's right in front of us. And by the way, a good definition of hope is desire plus expectation. Something that we desire to happen and that we are expect is going to happen. That is hope. So we desire something right now that we don't have, but we are expecting to get it. Now, what does our hope lie in? Our hope lies in this promise of eternity, with God, with Christ, in a place beyond what we can imagine. See, we have a a God-sized hope that no place on earth can offer. Nothing compares to it. But, see, this hope is for nothing if we are not certain of its fulfillment, this takes us to the next two verses. Listen to this. Verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Wow. A steadfast anchor for the soul is what we're being promised here and this is an incredible picture. and the boaters uh, that had received this letter would have gotten this see what big ships would do when they were coming into a bay or report a, a, a big ship would take a littler ship and, dis, and, and dispatch it to take the anchor of that big ship out into the bay or even out onto the coast to drop it so the big ship wouldn't have to endure the waves that would be battering it So this is the picture that we're given here. Jesus went to this inner place, this place behind the curtain. Now, that's a reference to the Holy of Holies, that place inside the temple where God's presence dwelt on earth, the curtain that was split in half with Christ's death that gave us access. That is the place It's saying God went, that Christ had gone, there in the presence of the Father. And it says that Jesus went there as this forerunner. Now, what does that mean? And this goes back to that picture of the boats with the anchors. This is from the Nelson Study Bible. It says, the Greek word for forerunner was used in the second century AD of the smaller boats sent into the harbor by larger ships, unable to enter due to the buffeting of the weather. These smaller boats carried the anchor through the breakers inside the harbor and dropped it there, securing the larger ship. So see, Jesus gives us this secure and stable hope. As a matter of fact, only in Christ can we find true security and stability. And see, this should keep us from drifting away from God. This should keep us from trying to plant our, our anchor in, in some other place. As a matter of fact, the early Christians so believed in this picture that on their tombs, I've shown this before, they would inscribe anchors, recognizing that Christ, their hope, had anchored their soul in heaven in eternity. So no matter what kind of storm we may be enduring here on earth, no matter what kind of pandemic, or loss of job or sense of anxiety all those soul battering storms that can come in remember where your anchor is set it's not set here in this place it's set right there in the eternal presence of god at the end of that section it restates christ as a priest in the order of melchizedek meaning he's an eternal priest and king there with god representing us see we need this secure and stable hope something that is unchanging in an ever-changing world because nowhere on earth is like this and if you've ever been to a big amusement park you know this so back in west virginia we would always go to this place called king's island in cincinnati ohio And I remember being a teenager, we'd go there, our church would go there, and my very favorite roller coaster was this one called The Beast. It it was one of the biggest wooden roller coasters in America. Now, back then, you didn't have these fancy signs like they have right now, the little digital readout saying you've got 30 minutes left or 45 minutes left in this line. No, you just got in the line with absolutely no clue how long it was going to take you to get to the front of it. You maybe had the person in front of you to talk to, or maybe some of your friends, but you were in this line, and you waited, and it was always the middle of summer, and it was like 100 degrees, and there wasn't any water, and you walked, and you waited, and you walked, and you waited, and the reason you did this was because you believed that the ride was going to be worth it. But see, then this really, really awful thing can happen. You've made it through that line. It's hot. You've been stepping in gum. You've been grabbing that rail. There's gum stuck to the bottom of it. You feel nasty. You've been listening to the children crying. You've been watching some people jump out of the line because they're sick of it. You endured. You waited. You got to the front of the line. And then this 16-year-old walks up to you and says, Sorry, sir. But the ride is going to be temporarily closed for maintenance. You've got to be kidding. This is an injustice. This is unfair. Temporarily closed for maintenance after what you just went through. But here's the thing. We have no foolproof security here on the earth that we live in. You're not guaranteed a date when school going to resume. You're not guaranteed that your 401k is going to be there. You're not guaranteed any of those things. We're not guaranteed that this country is going to go on indefinitely. Our anchor is attached to nothing on this planet. But yet here we are. We're in the line. We're in this waiting room that God has sovereignly placed us in. So the question I want to go to now is, how do I live in God's waiting room? How do I live in it? I want to talk about three ingredients in this waiting room we find ourselves in. And the first one is hope. It is so important that you don't just think of hope, this desire plus expectation, as a nice to have. It is so much more important to that. As a matter of fact, uh, some psychiatrists uh, are, are recognizing this in a very big way. There was an article that came out called Dying of Despair. And a psychiatrist named Aaron Carriotti, uh, he observed that there's a startling rise in deaths from suicides and drug overdoses. And he points out these long-term studies that have been done, and he comes to this conclusion. Over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he is suffering, nor whether he is rich or poor, The most dangerous factor is a person's sense of hopelessness. The man without hope is is the likeliest candidate for suicide. He goes on to say that we cannot live without hope. There was a second psychiatrist, one from Harvard. uh, His name's Armand Nikolai. And he's trying, again, to make sense out of this rapid rate of depression that he's seeing in the United States. And he says that for the most part, many things have stayed the same relationships and so on but he says this about this undercutting of what he calls spiritual resources in america he says some say that our culture has forsaken its spiritual roots that we live in an overtly secular society without even the pretense of spiritual values now listen to the impact that has many young people today feel that their cultures fail to provide answers to questions of purpose and meaning and destiny we fail, they feel, to provide some reason for hope. The consequence is that we are now in a cultural crisis and living in what is being called the age of despair. We hear of our spiritual vacuum and our crisis of meeting. You know what? If all you're getting is the secular answers, if all you're getting is the idea that, you know what, life is just dust to dust, then yes, yes this is going to seem like a meaningless, hopeless life. But see, we who have God, we have a wholly different perspective. And when the age of despair calls out and says, is this all there is? We as Christians say, absolutely not. This is certainly not all there is. Our Christian conviction screams that we dare to hope because we have the greatest hope. As a matter of fact, this earth is as bad as it's going to get for we Christians. So please don't ever get caught in that trap of thinking that this is all there is. No. This is just a very, very short beginning to an infinite, eternal state of bliss that we are currently waiting on. We have the best hope the only hope of a full resurrection in time with Jesus Christ. So that is our hope. And in the meantime, we are hopeful because we know that Jesus is making us to someone. He's not just teaching us, he's turning us into someone that we would never have been otherwise day by day through trial and through difficulty. So this is where we find hope. We don't listen to the world. We listen to what the scriptures are telling us. So this first ingredient is hope. And then secondly, security. While we're living in the waiting room, we need to find security. And this is something that we strive so, so hard to create in the world we live in. And and believe me, I've got a a 403B, which is the uh, nonprofit equivalent to a 401K. I've got one of those. And I don't even look at it right now. Frankly, I don't know what that thing's doing. But we desperately want security right now. We work very hard to create it. But the thing is, it can all be gone in the blink of an eye. Health, relationships, finances, businesses. As a matter of fact, there's a poem. Uh, it was written by Walt Whitman. Uh, the, the title of it is A Noiseless Patient Spider. And it describes a little spider. He's describing a little spider sitting out on a cliff. And he's looking out of the vast space around him. And he so desperately wants to, to anchor a little thin web to part of it. So he keeps throwing out these thin little webs, trying to get to something he can see around him. But every single one of them falls painfully short. And in comparison, the same poem talks about we do the same thing with our very soul. We flip out a little thread. We try to attach it to a person, a bank account something on this earth that ultimately is not going to provide us with the stability and the security that we so desperately want so what do we need you know i think that there's a hymn that says this very very well how firm a foundation you saints of the lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he is he's already said To you who for refuge to who to jesus has fled see it is in christ that we find security that is the only place we can find security and i need to say right now that i can offer you no hope and no security outside of the person of jesus christ if you have not trusted christ as your savior please do it right now right there where you're sitting you could bow your head close your eyes lord jesus i understand that i am a sinner And I desperately need salvation. Only he can provide you with that security. It's by trusting in the saving work of Jesus Christ, his death for our sins, his resurrection from the grave, that we can find security. The fact is, our souls have to be anchored elsewhere in this place of eternity. So we need security. We need to have it. Christ alone can give it to us. We don't flee to a city or a bank account, but we flee to a person who can secure our refuge, Jesus Christ. And finally, be patient. Be patient. We have to be patient. And we live in a world that encourages anything but patience. We live in a world of fast food, fast credit, instant this, instant that. Advertisers know this, businesses know this, but see, the thing is, God does not work that way. Abraham had to wait 25 years before he finally got that child for the birth of his promised son. And it's hard because we don't often see the work that God is doing while we're waiting. And it's frustrating. And if we're not careful, we can get camped out in that place of anxiety and frustration while we're waiting on God to do what it is God is doing. And we don't know what He's doing, except for the fact that we know He's growing us and He's changing us. While we're waiting, God is not sitting still, God is doing things in us. And I know that some of the most anxious times in my life were when I was waiting on that job or waiting on that spouse, or waiting to find out about some kind of a visit to the doctor. But our attitude during these times is critical because it's during these times that God is often changing us the most. And I love this this quote from Spurgeon, the English pastor. He talks about this time of waiting. And he says that waiting is one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching, Marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. There are hours of perplexity when the most willing spirit, anxiously desirous to serve the Lord, knows not what part to take. Then what shall it do? Irritate itself by despair? Fly back in cowardice? Turn to the right hand in fear? Or rush forward in presumption? No. But simply wait we wait and right now we are in a time of waiting that's god's calling on our lives it's going to come and go in more intense ways as we go along and putting this all together wait with hope security and patience while god works wait with hope security and patience while god works i want to uh, conclude by revisiting the book that i opened with Uh, The book, again, called The Waiting Place, because there were some revelations uh, that this woman came to, this journalist, while she was waiting. And she said this, in the beginning, I thought writing this book would help me discover and share ways to flee the waiting place. Instead, I've concluded that to live is to wait. It's how we wait that makes all the difference. I expect to remain in one waiting place or another for the rest of my life. On the surface of my days, I'll wait in airports, grocery stores, carpool circles, restaurants, and doctor's offices. But on a deeper level, I'll wait for my next inspiration to smack me upside the head. I'll continue to wait on my husband as he works through his own issues. I'll wait at the bedsides of friends and family as their lives' curtains close. I'll wait for my children to go to college, discover their passions, grow in their faith and make peace with their own waiting places and she concludes with this i'll wait for god to tell me when it's time to go home please pray with me lord jesus we often find ourselves in the waiting place it's your waiting room here we are it's it's called life and god As situations change, as the crises arise, as trials come and go, I pray that we would never, ever lose patience. I pray that we would never seek to retaliate, that we wouldn't lash out, that we would withhold our feelings when that's what we need to do. God, help us to love each other well through this this waiting room we find ourselves in, always trusting, Lord Jesus, that you have secured our hope there with yourself and the Father. Help us now. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless. Have a great day. Thank you for being with us this morning.